Thanks for reading that scripture. You can have a seat right there where you're at. Uh, this is week four of a series that we're calling Faith That Last. Uh, and we're walking through the book of Jude. Thanks, sir. Appreciate you. Appreciate you a lot. There you go. You'll have to just wait and see what this is. All right. Week four of a series we're calling Faith That Lasts. If you haven't been here, you can catch up uh, on our uh, sermon podcast or even YouTube of where we've been thus far as we've walked through the book of Jude. And last week will be, our, or next week will be our very last week. Uh, when my wife and I and our family moved uh, back to Jonesboro from New York, for living in New York for uh, several years, we decided that we were going to test out our green thumbs. Uh, and what I mean by that is our flower gardening skills. We decided that we wanted to have a beautiful backyard and, and one of my wife's uh, favorite flowers, uh, if it's not her favorite flower, is hydrangeas, which they are super sentimental. And uh, you would think that we would be smart enough not to try this as our very first flower, but we did it anyways. And we were told by others who have flower gardens that it's super helpful if you name these flowers, you know, you have a kind of emotional attachment to them and, and you'll water them more and, and do all these things. So we named her Edith. All right. And if you, your name is Edith or your someone you love's name is Edith, please don't judge me or uh, do anything else. But we uh, picked Edith out at Home Depot and we brought her home and uh, potted her and started watering her and put good soil and, and all the goodness to it. And, and we started putting her in the proper amount of sunlight every day, moving her into the shade, out in the sunlight and do, doing all these wonderful things. And then life just happened. We have three kids, three years old, 18 months and six months old right now. And life happened this summer. And now Edith is, uh, well, this is her. So like I said, don't judge us, all right? If your name's Edith, don't be frustrated. Because uh, that was Edith. It's beautiful. That was like June. And then like, we were like, okay, we'll trim her and, and we'll do all these right things. But then we forgot to water again and forgot to do all these things. And so that's Edith. Dead. Like real dead. Like there was hope like in August that maybe she would come back because of all these different things. It's not just my wife's fault. It's my fault too. You know, I, I was watering her, not watering her, didn't change out the fire. Like it's just all these things. But the teaching point for Edith to make to us that we taught is, man, we can't command that growth from this flower. We can't just command it to grow. There, there were things we could do that would cultivate growth in her. We could put the right soil in. We could focus on watering and sunlight and there were things that we could focus our attention to that would encourage her growth, but commanding that growth in her was impossible for us to do. We desired it so much, but we didn't do the things that would position her well to grow. And the truth about growth in our lives is we wish we had total, utter control over us growing as individuals. We all desire to change, to become better, to, to grow. Some of you have fitness goals or emotional health goals or uh, just, just healthy financial goals or, or whatever the case may be, but commanding growth over any of those areas in your life is virtually impossible for you just to will into being. But there are ways that you can cultivate healthy growth in all those areas. And to be a follower of Jesus is to know about your relationship to growth when it comes to following him. And what I mean by growth isn't anything other than becoming and showing evidence of being an authentic follower of Jesus. 
to, to become and show evidence of being an authentic follower of Jesus, to show real life change in your life. And you can't command that growth any more than I could command the growth of Edith or my wife command the growth of Edith. But there are things that we can do that cultivate and push us in that direction. And in fact, that's exactly what Jude talks about from verse 17 to verse 23. But the truth of the matter in growth is, is like this. It's the biggest issue we're facing. And in fact, Christian philosopher and uh, Bible scholar Dallas Willard says it like this about growth. He says, the greatest issue facing our world today with all of its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, and practitioners of Jesus Christ steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of heavens in every corner of human existence. Notice those words that he used, steady, consistent. It's this moving in a continual pointed direction, not necessarily at a rapid speed, but just one step after another. And in this section in the book of Jude, he teaches us how to grow, or he actually expands his thesis statement, which he says in verse three, uh, if you have a copy of God's word, just look up a little bit or it's on the screen. It's to contend for the faith. Like the whole reason Jude wrote this letter to these genuine followers of Jesus is to contend, or that word literally means to exert effort, to show up, to do something for the faith. He wants them to contend. He wants them to put forth effort and, and strive to, to push back darkness, to, to push back false teaching, to know their faith and, and to put forth effort towards it. To not just idly sit by and be like, well, we'll just see what happens. To exert this energy towards this thing. That's why he wrote this letter and, and he actually expands all those ideas of saying, okay, let me tell you what I mean by that. That's verses 17 through 23. Last week, we talked all about those who are false teachers or not genuinely following Jesus. And he addressed that. He's like, this is what you need to know about the truth of these who are not genuinely following Jesus. And now he transitions from that to say, okay, now genuine followers of Jesus, this is what I need you to know. This is what he says, verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. So if your question is, is okay, well, what's the fuel? What's the energy source? What's the power source in growth? That's one answer. Verse 19 says, uh, those who are not generally followers of Jesus are devoid of the spirit. So that means the growth source or the power source for growing in our faith is in fact the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And Jude honestly just picks up on what Jesus, his big brother, taught in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7, there's this whole section about you will know a tree by its fruits. And for Jude to, to be the audacious claim that these people who are false teachers, think about the, the gravity or the gravitas of this claim. They are devoid of the Spirit. They do not have the Holy Spirit in their life. For Jude, the evidence of what they taught 
and how they lived was evidence enough for him to be bold claim to say they don't have the Holy Spirit. And for him and for his big brother Jesus to teach in Matthew chapter 7, you will know a tree by its fruit or you will know a person by the wake of their life. Like what is in their trail is evidence enough to figure out are they genuinely following Jesus or not? That, that you will be able to pick up on it. Because the Holy Spirit is working in genuine followers of Jesus. And it's not optional whether we, who are genuinely following Jesus, grow and change or not. What is optional is will we be able to position ourselves or cultivate that growth to position ourselves under the authority and power of the Holy Spirit to say, change me, shape me, mold me, because my power, I don't need that. I need you. My character on my own, not enough. I need you. We can choose to act like those devoid of the spirit and say, I got this, God. Step out of the way. I don't need your authority. I don't need your word. I don't need time in prayer. I, I, I got this. I know where I'm headed. And we would be acting as those devoid of the spirit, that the wake of our life or the character that we show and evidence of is acting like those who do not have the Holy Spirit. Or we can be what Jude says in that first verse, verse 17. He says, but you remember, beloved, Four times in this short 25 verse letter, he says, beloved, 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 beloved. Four times he reminds us of our genuine identity of who we are. Not because we earned it, not because you deserved it, not because you worked towards it, but because of who his big brother is, Jesus Christ, and what he has done you and I, if we're following him, we've come under his lordship. We said, Jesus, I need you to be the leader of my life and forgiver of my sins. He now says, beloved. Not because you earned it. Not because you worked towards it. Not because you proved it. So therefore, in spite of anything you've earned, in spite of anything you've done, in spite of what anybody else says you are, God says, Beloved. You failed this week, beloved. You tried and, and didn't work, beloved. You tried to show up and do your best, but you, you still failed miserably anyways, beloved. And he wants to remind them of what he has instructed them towards, that you are the beloved of God in Christ Jesus, not because of who you are, of what you've done, all because of what Jesus has, who he is and what he has done on your behalf. And in, in light of that, he gives us these commands of how we're called to position ourselves or cultivate for growth in our lives. That it's not about speed, but it's about a pointed direction of, of, of coming under him and saying, I know where the power source is. How do I stay there? How do I not move on and say, I've graduated from beloved? But no, we, we stay rooted right there. I'm like, I'm beloved of God in Christ Jesus. How do I stay in that? And this is exactly what he tells us. He moves on into the next verse in verses 20 and 21 to tell us what that looks like. He says this, but you, beloved, look at that building yourself up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus 
Christ that leads to eternal life. In these two verses, Jude's going to tell us one command with three activities. One command, three activities. In that one command, it's that first word of verse 21, keep. That's the only command in these two verses, keep. But he gives three activities. If you're uh, inquisitive, and I know all of you are very smart individuals, you probably are looking at your Bible saying, well, there's four phrases here. There's four phrases. And you're right, you're spot on. There are four phrases, but inside these four phrases, there's only one command, keep. There's three activities, build, pray, wait. Build, pray, wait. So inside of this next, from verse 20 to 23, there's two sets of three. The first set of three is going to instruct us in how we're called to cultivate our relationship with Christ to do the one command. And the one command is this, keep yourself in the love of God. Because now you know your identity, I'm beloved. What do belovedness do? It keeps yourself in the love of God. I'm gonna stay right here. This is how I'm gonna stay grounded. This is how I'm gonna not end up like Edith. I'm gonna keep myself in the love of God. As a genuine follower of Jesus, I'm keeping myself in being beloved, knowing I'm beloved, walking towards being beloved, walking in being beloved. But how do I do that? If you're anything like me, I wanna know how to do that. Jude foresaw his audience's questioning of how do I do that? And so he says, hey, let me give you three things. Build, pray, wait. That's what he says. And we're gonna gonna unpack each one of those. But then the second set of three is he's going to inform us in the midst of our waiting so it's not wasted. I'm just like an airline pilot, tell you where we're going, all right? Just so we're not wasting the waiting, how do I engage the world? How do I engage other people? And that's what he's gonna tell us. That's where we're headed, so let's go. Build. What does it mean to building ourselves up in the faith? Well, that's interesting about that word of building. That is not the word that means building from scratch. It's not like you're a, a contractor and going out and picking the lumber and all the cabinets and you're, you're gonna put together this immaculate house or maybe you like cooking and you're a chef and you're gonna go to a gourmet grocery store and pick all the right ingredients out because you got a special person that you want to enjoy this meal and you're gonna put it together from scratch. No, that's not what it is. You see, you're the person that's gonna walk into that house after it's all finished and be like, wow, this is incredible. You're the person enjoying that meal because what that word build means is it means building upon. It means picking up what's already been put down. It means enjoying what's already been established because what Jude is talking about in building is spending time with God in his word. He means spending time with God in his word because you're not the chef, you're not the contractor constructing the thing, but you are the individual that gets to sit with it and enjoy it. You are the individual that gets to sit with that meal and feast upon a chef's divine creation. You are the individual that walks into the house and says, wow, it's a great color. That granite, man, I love this lighting fixture. You are the individual that gets to sit down with the word of God because when you sit down with the word of God, it's like walking into that house with the architect and they're telling you, hey, this is why we picked this right here. This is why we picked that banister to do that. I was, I was shooting towards this architecture or it's like eating a meal with the, with the chef that says, you taste that oregano? You taste that little bit of salt and pepper? You, you taste that cheese? You know what, where I got that cheese at? Because this is the only meal you get to sit down with the author and he reads it with you. It says one of the instructions of the Holy Spirit is to illuminate truth as we enjoy God's word. 
As we build our faith, we're building upon what's already been established. We're picking up what's already been put down. We're enjoying a meal that's already been prepared. So you build, you spend time in God's word. Second, it's praying in the Holy Spirit. And some of you may be asking some questions like, what does it mean to be praying in the Holy Spirit? That's a great question. This is in contrast to the opposite of praying in the Holy Spirit would be praying in the flesh. To pray in the flesh. To pray in the flesh would be treating God like Santa Claus. Like, hey, I'm coming with you with my list of demands. Here you go. I'll be back when you get them all figured out. I'll be up on December 25th ready to see what's under that Christmas tree. Praying in the flesh would be like I have a list of demands and you're a a hostile enemy and saying, I need these and I need you to come through. I'll show up when you got the goods. But praying in the Holy Spirit is learning to pray in such a way that aligns our will with his. Romans 8 talks about it like unspoken groanings. It's deeper than words. It's, It's wanting God so badly. And you spend time in his presence and say, God, I just want your will to be accomplished in my life. I need you to to work in me. I can't do this. I don't want to be Edith. I don't want to be Edith. Like, come and and work in me and do a work that's, that's deeper than words. And you spend time in that. And you need to spend time in that. And I need to spend more time in that individually. Of coming in God's presence as we spend time in God's word and spending time in his presence and, and, and begging God deeper than words of, to move in my life and to work and do a work deep within me. But we also need to spend time in his word and in prayer together. In our journey groups and our discipleship groups of, of seeking God. Stop talking about doing it and just do it. And just being time in God's presence and and begging for your brother and sister to experience God in a powerful way for him to show up in their life. But also, not just individually, but together in worship and singing. Every time we gather together and sing, it's it's a form of prayer. We don't lift up our voices because the melody's sweet and the, the band's playing well. We lift up our voices for ourselves as a one member of the body. But you lift up your voice for also the person sitting on your right and left because your brother or sister needs to hear the truth of God's word. Needs to hear because this week's been rough. This week they've been told everything that they're not. They forgot that they're beloved. Jude says it two times, remember. Because we're really good at forgetting. We're not really good at remembering. And so when we sing and when we pray together, it's not just for the show or in the tell. It's, it's for my brother and sister in the faith because I love them just as much and I want their growth just as much as I want my own. And they need to be reminded of that. And some of you got stirred up so much of that and you need to be a part of our our prayer team, we actually have people right now in a room praying over you and me, the needs of our body, our mission partners who are laboring on behalf of us and fellow brothers and sisters in the faith on our prayer team. And if for some of you, you need to take advantage and join that team to labor on behalf of God's people in God's presence uh, more than just a few moments that you can take advantage of that. And they meet both hours at 9.15 and 10.45 and you can join that team. But in that singing of individual and that praying individual in a small unit, these cell groups, these journey groups or discipleship groups, and also corporately as a body, we're spending time in God's word. We're praying God's spirit. But number three, the most important, but almost the most hated probably is wait. It says waiting on Jesus. 
And we don't like to wait. I mean, if I held up a line, we're like, hey, we love to wait. If anybody's hand went up, we need to talk to you, okay? Because we like the express delivery. We, we want to spend time in God's presence and be like, all right, two days, prime delivery, here it comes. Like, we don't like the waiting. But let me give you a formula for Christian maturity of what it looks like to genuinely follow Jesus. Let me give you a recipe, if you will. Faith plus patience equals maturity. Faith plus patience equals maturity. And when faith and patience are marinated in the word of God and prayer, that's what Christian maturity looks like. But we don't enjoy the waiting. We don't enjoy the patience. We want it right now. But we could learn a ton from simply nature. Nature teaches us about waiting. Think of it like this. In summer, it's prime season for growth. You probably drove to work in Northeast Arkansas and you saw these crops from the heat of the sun and the rain of the summer. It's prime season for growth. Every every day when I drive to work and drive to the building, you can see the corn is just getting a little taller every week. And I could see across the field in June, but in August, I can't see anymore because it's grown. It's, It's growth. It's prime season for growth. It's summertime. It's hot. It's humid. But we transition from summer, the season of growth, to fall, the season of change. There's less sunlight, there's less heat, there's, there's less opportunities for growth, but it's prime season for harvest. We pull all the growth out and we, we enjoy the growth. We enjoy the fact that it's grown in that. But what, what does fall transition from? A season for harvesting goes to a season of winter. There's not near as much sunlight. It's cold, it's dark. It's waiting. You see, we get into winter and we just want to skip over winter. We're begging for spring. We're begging for new life, for for new opportunities for growth. And and we wish we could just live in the grow season. We don't don't want to do winter. We don't want the cold. How many times we talk to people like, man, I love fall. I love spring. I love the beach. I love summer. Most people don't say like, I love winter. I love how it's dark at four o'clock in the afternoon. I love how you walk outside and the cold just pierces you to your bone. I love how it sleets and ices and you can't go anywhere. There's no bread, there's no milk, there's nothing. (laughs) Nobody does that. But there are climates who who skip skip winter. They're called the desert. And if you only want to live in this season of growth and heat and, and boom, nothing lasts in the desert. Deserts aren't these lush vegetation spots of all this greenery. It's just dirt and sand. And there's a few random plants who can survive in that. There's there's total shows that are made about the type of life forms that can exist in that kind of climate. We don't like the waiting. We don't like the patience. Christian writer and pastor Chris Nile says this about the patience. He says, we cannot abandon the soil for the microwave. Jesus had a remarkable patience and pace. It's not about speed. It's not about rapid. It's not about bigger, better, more. It's about this consistent direction of one step at a time, 
of following Jesus. And the beauty is, is if you're genuinely following Jesus and maturing in your faith, is your waiting isn't wasted. In fact, your waiting is modeled after Christ's own waiting. He, right now, is patiently waiting. Waiting for the right time to return again, to right every wrong. So no matter how hard and how difficult your season of waiting is right now, whatever it is that you're waiting on, that you're laboring in the scriptures, you're laboring in prayer, there's there's many people laboring on your behalf and you haven't seen the prime delivery, you haven't seen God come through and you've been laboring for a long time, your your laboring isn't wasted. And in fact, there is a, a type of living that Jude urges his individuals to do to not waste their waiting. Let's look at these last two verses together in Jude 22 and 23. He says, and he transitions here and he says, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. You see, Jude gives us three ways to cultivate our growth in Christ. To position ourselves to grow, to to build, to pray, and to wait. And now to transition, he says, and to to some, he does three others in this regard. The first set of others, he says, and be, have mercy on those who doubt. Or you could say it like this, be gentle with those who are doubting. Be gentle with those who are doubting. Because this individual is someone who is a follower of Jesus. But that word doubting is exactly what you think it means. It means wavering. For some who are wavering in the faith, and you may be, that individual. The call for Jude and the call for the genuine follower of Jesus who is established in their faith, who is building, praying, and waiting, is called to be gentle with those who are doubting, who are struggling in the faith. To not beat over the head with a Bible, but rather sit across them with a meal and instruct and encourage and to build and pray and to wait with them. Because the call for Jude and the call for the Christian is not to browbeat it's not to belittle but it's to be gentle with that individual who is wavering or flip-flopping in the faith because it is someone who is genuinely following Jesus but these other two individuals that Jude talks about most likely based on context aren't following Jesus because he says and to others save them by snatching them from the fire so the second individual be quick with those in danger Be quick with those in danger. He says they're in the fire. Snatch. I've never seen anybody snatch slowly, all right? I've never seen any snatching that's done like, like that's not snatching. That's, That's slow movement. Be quick with those in danger. Our job as followers of Jesus who are not wasting our waiting is to constantly point to the one who's doing the work. That as we're coming under his leadership, under his authority, who, as we're growing and not becoming like Edith, as we're, we're growing in our faith, it's, hey, it's not me. It's not about legalism. It's not about just checking the right boxes and boom, I pumps out. Like, because we did water. We did give the good soil. We did put in sunlight. But that's what happened. But as we're positioning ourselves inside the power source of the Holy Spirit, knowing that we are beloved, And our one command, keep yourself in the love of God. As we are being loved and living as beloved, we point to the one doing the loving. The snatching that we do is not us doing the saving, it's pointing to the rescuer. 
that as one who has been rescued and one who is now beloved, hey, you're made in the image of God for a relationship with one who desires to love you more than anything else that calls, that wants to call you beloved in him because of what he has done and who he is. Can I tell you about him? To be quick with those in danger. But then the third is to be careful with those entangled in sin. Because notice Jude's wording in the last phrase. He says, and have mercy, but he adds a phrase, with fear. Have mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. That's what he says. Have mercy with fear. So that phrasing that I use is be careful with those entangled by sin. Because as you're becoming a good pointer, as you're growing in your faith, as you are not giving distance to those, distance to those far from God, but moving towards them as Christ moved towards you in your sin, you recognize you're not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. But there is Jesus inside of me that I want to share and I want to be a good pointer. So I'm going to be careful with those who are engulfed or entangled or swallowed up in their sin. That based on the choices that they've made, they're like those that Jude has warned about. It's not that we are distanced and, and, and send them to damnation. But we move towards them with tender mercy, but with fear. There's a sense of holy reverence as we engage those who are far from God, who are entangled in sin, that Jude desires for all followers of Christ to have. He says, we want you moving towards them. But don't do so haphazardly. Don't do so thinking you can save anybody. Don't do so with arrogance and pride saying, I would never fall into that. Don't do it like that. Stay in the love of God. Stay humble. Stay under his authority. Be careful, but don't be distant. Don't just remove yourself and be like, well, you know, somebody else will do that. Because what's beautiful about what Jude does in these these commands and these directives is he doesn't separate those who are called to be the studiers of God's word and then the doers of God's word. He says all genuine followers of Jesus should be remaining in the love of God, keeping themselves in the love of God and moving towards others far from God. So here's the challenge. Here's the question for all of us as we seek to apply God's word to our life. What's your next best step? Where is an area that you struggle in your life? Is it time with Jesus? Is it you struggle keeping yourself in the word of God? Like you have all this passion, all this desire to go reach other people, but you don't have this desire and passion to, to build, pray, wait. Or maybe for you, you, you love that study of God's word that you, you could spend hours every day studying God's word, but man, people are difficult for you to move towards. I struggle knowing when's the right time to, to have mercy on those who doubt, or I struggle to be gentle with other people who are wavering in their faith, or I struggle knowing when to, how to be careful with those who are entangled with sin. I, I struggle knowing how to, when the right moment, or who to share the gospel with. Like where, I don't know what, how to do this. I struggle with the people side. How do you need to grow? Because there's one power source. There's no silver bullet other than the Holy Spirit as he works in our lives, as we present ourselves to him. So how do you need 
to grow? Where do you need to grow? Where do you need to devote this lined up direction towards Christ and taking one step at a time? We're gonna sing and respond here in just a moment to tell Christ who he is and to spend time in prayer. But if you would, would you simply just get in a prayer posture that you're comfortable with? Some of you, maybe your eyes closed. Some of you, maybe eyes open. There's gonna be from some prayer team members on both sides that would love to pray with you if you would like them to pray over you and with you. Because our desire is that you would grow and become more like Christ and learn to follow him for who he truly is. And if you would like to seek out their prayer in the midst of your difficult season of waiting, if you've been laboring in prayer, you've been begging God to do something in your life and he's just not done it yet, we would love the opportunity to pray with you and for you. If you wanna come up to one of these prayer team members while we sing this last song or if you want to just simply write it on a connect card on the seat back and put it in the box, we'd love to pray over that as our staff and prayer team this week. Or maybe you know exactly what your next step is and you need to, to just do that thing. Stop talking about it and reorder your calendar, take some things out and you just need to, to do the thing. Would you spend time right now thanking God for calling you beloved if you're a genuine follower of Christ? Would you ask the Holy Spirit to, if he hasn't already revealed to you what your best next step is? There's a lot that Jude said. There's six or seven, maybe eight or nine different things that came out of this text this morning that could you isolate it in and say, God, what, what's the one thing that I need to point towards better this week and take some steps towards? In the midst of your season of waiting, if it's you, would you be bold enough to share that with a prayer team member to allow them to wait with you? To pray for you? To labor in the prayer on your behalf to do this together? Because following Jesus was never meant to be a solo mission, but a team effort. No matter what it is, what you're called to, Would you be so bold to do it together? Jesus, we thank you for who you are, that you are the one who is loving us, even when we're unlovable. And too often that's our story, that we are unlovable. We try and try so hard. We exert so much energy and so much effort to be put together But too often we're just exerting all this energy and nothing is happening. No change is being produced because we are not doing it in the power of your spirit. Would you help us learn what it looks like to, to sit in your spirit, to wait on your spirit, to, to labor with one another in the right heart posture and move towards those who are far from you. God, would you help us become what you desire for us to be? And may we never move 
from our true identity of beloved. In every season, in every mountaintop, every valley moment, would you remind us again of who we are in you? We are your beloved. And in those difficult moments where we try to step beyond or step past who you call us, would you remind us again? When we get off step of doing something we're not called to or doing it in the wrong spirit, would you call us back again? That we are your beloved and we're called to engage those like you've engaged us. Jesus, we love you.